It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. What's up, everybody? It's Pushing the Limits time on a Monday. So glad you can join us. Broadcasting everywhere, of course, on Twitter, on my personal Twitter page, Twitch, all over the place, video and audio. If listening to me on the radio isn't good enough and you want to see my beautiful-looking face, you can do that as well. And, of course, on the AM dial, KSHP 1400. Oh, boy, we had a lot going on over the weekend. We're going to get to all of it. The Dodgers are out Yankees in a must-win game five. I don't talk a ton of baseball on this show, but boy, it's getting fun these last couple days. The Knights get a nice win on the road. UNLV football disaster. We will get to that. The Raiders in a bye week play Houston next week. We're going to kind of run down this Carrie Lake interview. This She's the election-denying buffoon uh, out of Arizona. Apparently, there's a lot of buffoons out there that are election deniers, but she did an interview with CNN. I was a little surprised. Made herself look like a complete clown once again. So we'll play that for you coming up at the bottom of the hour. Then at the top of the hour, you know, I heard uh, this woman on a conservative talk show last week. Her name is Megan Barth. She is the head editor of uh, the Nevada Globe. She said some things about abortion and some things that a lot of people on the far right are saying these days. But I said to myself, I want to get her on. I want to kind of pick her brain a little bit when it comes to local Nevada politics. So Megan Barth with the Nevada Globe will be joining us at the top of the hour. Looking forward to that. And then, later on in the show, I want to get a landscape of all these big national debates that have been taking place. And I say national, even though they're actually really local. The reason why I say national because these are big names in the Republican Party, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ron Johnson, Herschel Walker. Well, we have audio from all these debates. You want to talk about a clown show. I guess that is the best way I could describe it. Uh, I mean, you know, Herschel Walker showing a fake badge during a debate. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's ridiculous. So anyway, we're going to get to all that stuff, but it's Monday, and you know what that means. Wearing the bright fluorescent yellow shirt as it is, is Chris Wynn joining me in studio today. Chris looking lavishly handsome today. Chris, what's going on? It's going good, Brian. Good oh, we need your mic on. I told him to turn your mic off, but go ahead. Put How's it, it going, Shap? <laughs> good to be here. Numchuck, uh, PTL Nation out there. Yes, it is Monday, my friend, and... Look, the rubber's about to meet the road. We are rolling right into Rubber. Election Day. Election Day is just a matter of, of uh, you know, a, a few weeks away. And so, yes, there, we are getting into the uh, the debates. We're talking all things politics across the country and here in the great state of Nevada. And as you yes. talked about, it is Monday, so we're yeah. coming off a weekend where there was just a plethora yeah. of sports action that went down. That we're gonna get I thought you said you didn't like rubbers. Why would you bring that up? At least that's what Evan Stone told me. He's nunchuck. Can you help me out here? It's, it's, I just it's want just to know another how, bad chap joke. I just want to know how it's you think bad, that yeah, that yeah. is bright when, when, yellow. I, I use the phrase. You, you, you understand what the phrase because he rubber, hasn't cleaned it. It used to be so bright. bright you understand what the phrase "rubber meets the road" means? Yes, rubber I meets the road. He's getting angry. Again. We're about to come down. No, I'm not I'm getting, getting angry. fired I'm up. I'm not angry. Do you like rubbers? Facebook Live. Facebook Live. Do you like rubbers? Yes or no? Absolutely. You do. 
What man well, I mean, likes what do you it? Mean? I mean, it's not, it's it's it, that's kind of a weird question, but whatever. It's a Fine. weird question. It's All right, we'll move on. I, this week is off. Folks, folks, it's chat. a weird question coming from a hands. weird dude. It's a weird question coming from a weird dude. Okay, that's what that was. Fair enough. It's a great way to start the week off, guys. Exactly. Great yes. Week. yes. Uh, well, if he, if he said that he tried one on, I would say congratulations. But anyway, uh, that's not the case. But anyway, let's move on. Let's talk to us about some. First of all, I got to brag a little bit. I'm going to do this with my hands, like you do. Chris, I shot a 68. You're very good at bragging about yourself. I was four under at Las Vegas Country Club over the weekend. It was one of the best rounds of my life. You know, remember the scene? You can still swing the sticks. You still can. Remember the scene from Caddyshack where the guy's making every putt during the lightning storm? And he dies because he gets hit by lightning? Well, there was a storm coming on the back nine. I am three under par through like 12 balls. I said, guys... I don't care if a tornado comes. I am finishing this round. But luckily, the weather kept up. But it was just one of those golf rounds where I was just I was making everything, man. It was crazy. I mean, a swing felt pretty good, but short game was on. I think watching the Shriners Hospital for Children's Open, uh, I think it kind of uh, got me motivated a little bit. Uh, I played some golf. I felt like a PGA Tour player out there. You're playing the same course uh, where they shot Casino, right? Where Pesci and those guys Correct. were out there, and they had the, the uh, FBI airplane that they're Correct. trying to all clip. Yes. With their shots. That's right. You're at that course. <laughs> yes. Hello. I'm Jim Nance. And Brian Shapiro has won the Masters. Uh, anyway, it was it was a fun <laughs> it was a fun round of golf. It was a good time. It's a Cinderella story. Yes, that's right. Uh, I'll tell you what's not a Cinderella story. That is the the uh, L.A. Dodgers. Um, oh my Ooh, goodness, boy! First of all, I've been saying this about Dave Roberts for years now. He is not a good manager uh, in the most important decision making spots that a baseball manager is in. He seems to always get it wrong. He totally misused his bullpen and. Dave Roberts throughout the year, as you know, he's quoted as saying, we're going to win the World Series. These guys have enough pressure on them. You don't need to make statements like that. And I'm not saying that was why they lost. Dave Roberts needs to be fired. I've been saying that for a while now. And, you know, Clayton Kershaw, uh, here's another guy. You know, he had a good year in the COVID year, if you remember, because he didn't pitch as much. But it seems like during a full year, he always, you know, gets rattled postseason. Is that because he's a choker or is that because his body is worn out? I'm going to say a little bit of both. Kershaw was not very good. The bats were not very good. Betts was not very good. You expect more from him. And listen, I give the Yankees credit yesterday in a must-win game. They took care of business. They got one more game. But if you're the Dodgers, if you're a Dodgers fan, how can you support this guy, Dave Roberts, anymore? He's an underachiever with this team. He was a great player. I'm sorry. He's not a great general manager. Am I wrong? Well, he's not a general manager. He's a he's a manager. They Correct. have a GM. Correct. I, I, I misspoke. That's, that's not Dave Roberts. General but, manager. I meant manager. Look, there, you know look, what I meant. There's a lot of people in Los Angeles that are on the same page you are, Brian, when it comes to Dave Roberts. They think that, yeah, yes, that, look, and this is someone, I, I wouldn't say he's a bad, you called him a bad manager. The guys won a World Series with them. This is a team that, that was able to achieve what they were expected to achieve up until this year. This year, they obviously didn't win it. And, and, and last year... Also, you would, you would say that so actually it's the last two years that they've underachieved because the Atlanta Braves, another team, by the way, that got bounced out of the National League playoffs, yeah. the Atlanta Braves, and now you have a scenario where you have the San Diego Padres taking on the Philadelphia Phillies, a lot of Las Vegas talent, by the way, on that Phillies team, taking, taking on each other in the National League Championship Series. So, uh, yes, it was a surprise that the Dodgers lost. There's going to be ramifications. It looks like Dave Roberts may be on the inside looking to head out and yeah. not, no longer be the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, just, yeah. you know, you know when, when situations like this present themselves where you're a favorite, you're a spot-on favorite in the National League, 
to win the pennant and you don't do it, usually heads roll and usually there are consequences. Yeah. And one of those consequences very might well be Dave Roberts no longer being the manager of the Dodgers. So anybody that knows me knows that I'm a big, I've always been a big Howard Stern fan, right? So what I did is I took a picture of Beetlejuice. And he's. It looks like he's sitting like in a van or a bus, and I, just as a fun to, to poke well, fun. It was funny. It was just a fu- to poke a fun. Post, just to poke that, fun yeah. at Dave Roberts. I said, "This is a live picture of Beetlejuice in the team bus after the game." And there were people on my Facebook page that actually said, "That wait, that's not Dave Roberts. That's Beetlejuice." I'm like, dude. You don't think I know that? How stupid can you be? Uh, But anyway, uh, I think Dave Roberts should be fired. I think we agree on that. I agree with Dodgers fans, and it's a travesty because they have such a great But the grass is not always greener on the other side, Brian, when it comes to managers or coaches. Yes. So I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious what direction they would go. That would be better yeah. than Dave Roberts, but we'll yep. see what happens. So, a positive note locally, uh, the, you know, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights with a, with a nice one on the road. I don't know how good the Kraken are, but regardless, you go on the road, you beat a team 5-2. You have to give them credit for that. The Vegas Golden Knights are undefeated, and Cassidy's tenure here, at least the first week, has gone pretty darn well. They're 3-0. Pretty darn well. It's yeah. been outstanding. You yeah. haven't lost yeah. a game yet. So. I just like I just like what I'm seeing from this team early, and I yeah. talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, I personally think that uh, Cassidy's the perfect guy for the job right now. I really think they have a a, a great coach, and I think this is going to work out. I really do. I'm not saying they're going to win the Stanley Cup. It's still very early. There's a lot of questions with this team still, particularly between the pipes, but Logan Thompson has been great to start. He's been very good. He's done his job, and and it looks like guys like Carlson and so how he's changing up the lines a little bit, and Stone, guys that did not look great last year, uh, they just look like they have a little extra oomph, so to speak, more energy, and they're skating better. And it just seems like there's a little bit more open ice. And, uh, you know, we didn't talk a lot last year about the Knights scoring five goals on the road. Uh, so, good start. It's still very early in the season. But I'll, uh, now I need to go into my, Chris, into my um, UNLV football rant. Well, I can, I, you can, I can, I can go ahead. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so, absolutely, you love the balance that they have. And I'm not just talking about from a scoring aspect, right? Because so far early in the season with just three tilts, you've got goals being scored by almost everybody. I mean, across the board, whether it's your stars or whether it's your guys that you're expected to contribute. But you also love the balance from a defensive standpoint as well, too. And you brought up, of course, Logan Thompson between the pipes. That was something that a lot of Vegas Golden Knight fans were concerned about whether or not this guy could be a number one goaltender. Mm-hmm. The jury is still out on that. Okay, we're not going to make a – we can't jump to conclusions three games into a season, but they have to be very pleased what, from what they're getting on a balance, from a balance standpoint across the board, whether it's at the blue line, obviously the scoring and the offense has been there as well, and, of course, Logan Thompson in the net. Yeah, uh, Logan Thompson has done a good job. He's done his job. I'm happy for him. He seems like a good guy. He's young. He's talented. He's confident. And um, I also like the fact that he supported the the Las Vegas Aces. He was seen courtside at plenty of games. He's embraced this community. I like Logan Thompson, and I'm rooting for him, and I'm pulling for him because he seems like a good guy, and he's off to a great start. And on a quick note, too, Brian, you and I have covered press conferences. A little bit different, right, covering press conferences with Bruce Cassidy as opposed to Pete DeBoer, isn't it, isn't it Mr. Shapiro? I, I, a, little bit, I, a little bit different kind of vibe and a little bit uh, more uh, uh, just a better kind of situation, right, with, with Bruce Cassidy? He answers questions honestly, and I give yeah. him a lot of credit for that. Um, and, uh, you know, so moving forward, uh, I'm really excited about this year. Yeah. I really am. I'm truly excited about this year. I think we have a better product than I thought we would. Uh, Cassidy, I like his system. Mm-hmm. I think the players like his system. And um, he says all the right things, too, and he's, he's honest. So, yes, I agree with you. I think it's a 180 
between DeBoer. Uh, it was the right move to get rid of DeBoer, and I th- also think it was the right move uh, to hire Cassidy. So I give the Vegas Golden Knights organization a lot of credit for making the right decisions. They haven't always done so, but they certainly are here. All right, time to talk a little UNLV football. Here Chris. we go. Took my glasses off for this one. So when UNLV started the year 4-1, and one, a lot of sunshine and rainbows. A lot of sunshine and rainbows. When UNLV started the season 4-1, and one, a lot of people, rightfully so, were very excited about the team and very excited about what Arroyo had accomplished. And by the way, I gave UNLV football a lot of accolades as well. Vast improvement from the last two years. Mm-hmm. And there's no question about that. The game on the road against San Jose State was an embarrassment. I understand a big part of that, but not the whole picture. It was Doug Brumfeld being hurt. He's your starting quarterback. He is your team. He has been phenomenal, and he is the big reason why UNLV got out to that 4-1 and one start. They play a game on the road, and they get embarrassed by San Jose State. San Jose State is a much-improved football team. There is no question about that. Let's be honest. They're not Alabama. Okay? They're not even the best team in the Mountain West Conference. They just lost to Fresno State on the road. They're not that good. They're improved. UNLV was embarrassed. Then they come home. And I understand you're starting your backup quarterback, who was a starter for a little while for UNLV, and he's got some experience. And you're saying to yourself, okay, Air Force coming into town. They, they run the ball just as good as anybody in the country. They're a good football team. But if you're UNLV, you want to be competitive and you want to give yourself a chance to win. I don't think anybody thought that wasn't possible. UNLV got embarrassed by Air Force. And I understand Doug Brumfeld wasn't out there. The Air Force ran through UNLV like a hot knife in butter. And they were not competitive. They were never in the football game. The offense looked terrible. The defense looked just as bad. And you could say, well, if the offense isn't out there getting first downs, defense is going to be tired. The defense looked terrible to start this football game and to end the football game. Uh, You had one nice pass the entire game, and the rest of it was garbage. And again, I preface it by saying I understand Doug Brumfeld is your starting quarterback and he wasn't in there and hopefully he'll be in there next week. I know there was concussion protocol. With that being said, you have got to make sure that your players are prepared. They did not look prepared in this game. They weren't prepared for San Jose State on the road. They weren't prepared for Air Force. And when we go back and look at the games that UNLV football has won, who have they beaten? You can make the case maybe North Texas was their best win. They're an average football team. They're not a top 150 team in the country. They're average. Nice win at home. Give them credit. North Texas, not a very good football team. And then you go on the road and you beat Utah State. This is not the Utah State team of last year or the last 10 years. Utah State is not a good football team. And their quarterback, Bonner, was hurt last year. He's not the same quarterback. With that being said, still nice to beat Utah State on the road. UNLV hasn't beaten anybody. That's what I'm trying to say. And now you have won four games. And you have put yourself in a position, hopefully, to make a bowl game. But i got to tell you something. We don't know what type of Doug Brumfeld we're going to see coming back, and there is no guarantee that UNLV makes it to a bowl game. You look at a game against Hawaii, a game they should win. You look at Nevada coming to town, a game that they should win. But there are no guarantees on their schedule, especially with Doug Brumfeld not being healthy or 100%, even if he does play next week. And if UNLV football does not make a bowl game, I don't look at this season and say, wow, what a great success. Coach Arroyo won four games. He won five games. What a great success you got to make a bowl game. And for all of you out there, as Chris mentioned, that are, you know, everything is rosy. Well, everything is not rosy because now you've been embarrassed twice. 
You've been embarrassed by San Jose State. You've been embarrassed by Air Force. It'd be one thing if you lost both games, but you were competitive. I wouldn't be as hard on them. But the effort wasn't there. I don't care what anybody says. They weren't ready mentally. They weren't ready physically. Uh, The play calling was left to be desired. And there were no answers, and the combined total score of the last two games as you, for UNLV football team that some people were saying were vying to maybe win the Mountain West Conference, well, that ain't happened. That combined score is 82-14, to 14. unacceptable, two embarrassing losses. Notice how I didn't say two, uh, two losses. You know, I'm calling it embarrassing by the nature and the way they lost. So let's hold on, UNLV football fans. It's nice that they have a winning record right now and they're 4-3, and three, but these last two losses are very concerning, and I understand Brumfeld's not out there, but it's the coaching staff's responsibility to get them prepared, and they were not prepared in both of these games. So there's going to be a viewpoint from us who are in the media who don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to UNLV mm-hmm. and don't root for the team openly, right? And then there's going to be the viewpoint of the UNLV hardcore faithful, right? Who are going to say that the reason why they were lambasted, essentially, the last two weeks is because our guy, Doug Brumfield, was not the quarterback. That's why we lost. They're going to come out and say that. Now there's people like you and I that are going to come back and look at it in a more uh, nuanced type of way. And we're going, to look, we're going to look at every aspect that's involved here. And you're going to see that a combined score of what? 87 82 to, to 14. 14 or excuse yep. me 82 to 14 yep over the last two weeks is a is a reflection of a number of different things you can't have that happen you cannot have you cannot go to San Jose get waxed like that then come home against a team that just lost to Utah State the week before look we expected Air Force to be one of the best teams in the Mountain West this year and maybe they end up eventually rounding out to be that. But they're coming off a bad loss. You cannot allow that team to just run up and down the field on you all night long. And the stats were complete. There were some just weird stats, right, Brian, from this game? The, for, for Air Force, they had 409 yards on the ground, I believe, and 18 passing yards. So a team had 400 rushing yards and heart and basically no passing yards and went on the road against a team that's supposed to be one of the best in the Mountain West and blew them out. That can't happen, okay, if, you, if you're a UNLV. And it doesn't get any easier moving forward here in the next couple of weeks. Now, what happens? You go on the road for a tilt against Notre Dame, who's coming off a loss to Stanford, by the way, this past weekend, a, a, a shocking loss. It was a shock that they lost to their rival, one of their rivals. And so they're going to be all kinds of upset when they, in South Bend next weekend, and UNLV is going to be up against it trying to win that game. And then the week after that, I believe it's San Diego State, right? They, had, they go to San Diego State Correct. after that. So, and they're probably not going to win that game. You already laid out the schedule of the, of the games that they should win, right? Should. That they should. Mm-hmm. This is UNLV football. It's, there, there is, there, it's very difficult for people to to just to just pinpoint and say, oh yeah, they're going to win those games. I'm not saying given, that. Given the, but you understand the point I'm trying to make. This yeah. is, is a, to, to make an assumption regarding yeah. this program having automatic wins. I think is way, 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 way. We need well, Chris, to pump the brakes on that. Yeah. But the point being is that yes, they are now in a position where it is not a lock, Brian Shapiro. It is not a lock that this team is going to be bowl eligible. They should be bowl eligible. They should be able to win two more games, 
but it's not a lock in it by any stretch of the imagination, given we don't know exactly what Doug Brumfield is going to bring to the table the rest of the season. Right. And look, you talked about Cameron Field, right, in the game against Air Force on yeah. Saturday. Or, excuse me, on Friday night. Uh, or no, Saturday night. Cameron Field had that pass to Ricky White, obviously, the touchdown, the one highlight that UNLV had in the game. Any logical football fan or anybody that's played football, that if you have a, you have a play like that, there should be multiple plays like that during the game. I don't want to hear these excuses. Cameron Field is not Doug Brumfeld. I don't want to hear excuses. Oh, you know, because because Doug's not in there, we can't effectively operate on offense. No, we saw it in a lightning in a bottle play right there to Ricky White. So. How do you have a play like that, which is a great play for a touchdown, and you don't have any other offensive plays the rest of the game that are anywhere near that or any or in any way, shape, or form like that? Yeah. You can't. You can't just so, so it was ridiculous, and it was a ridiculous showing. And, look, I'll give credit where credit is due a little bit. In the postgame press conference, Doug, uh, you know, Marcus Arroyo owned it, and, said, and, and he came out, and which he hasn't been necessarily the most transparent coach. I think I'm being very uh, – charitable by saying that when it comes to accountability after games at least he did come out afterwards and say look this is we laid an egg this is you know we can't have this, this is unacceptable but I mean there, there's no other way to look at it the way the last two games have gone down is indicative of a program that has been that has been below par for for years and so you get this feeling right Brian that there's almost like a slippage back to what they used to be Right before the five, yep. before the five game, four you know four out of five wins. Yeah, ha- you haven't you haven't you kind of got a feeling that this program is also almost slipping back into what they used to be. Well, here's which my is not good. So here's my prediction on what I think is going to happen the rest of the year. And uh, uh, by the way, Brumfeld is day to day according to Coach Arroyo right now. That was his statement this morning. Regardless of that okay. situation, let's just assume that he's healthy. But are going to win? They're not going to win gonna, the next two weeks anyway. Right, so. let, let me just assume that he's healthy. Let me give you my prediction. I think yeah. it's going to come down to the Nevada game uh, in Vegas. Uh, they'll probably beat Hawaii. I am not giving it a guarantee. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just giving you my opinion. Probably get one more win. They're not going to beat San Diego State on the road. That's not going to happen. They're not going to beat Notre Dame on the road. That's not going to happen. I do think that they beat Hawaii probably. And I think it comes down to Nevada, which will be very, very interesting. And when I mean come down to, I mean sixth win to to be bowl eligible. I think that's what it's going to come down to. And to me, when we spoke to the athletic director, I spoke to the AD um, earlier this year, and I said, "What's what's a successful year? He didn't put wins and losses on it, but he said what I think any athletic director probably should say. You want to see improvement from start to the end of the year. If they don't make a bowl game, you cannot tell me that this team got better start to end of the year. Now, I know Arroyo made the claim, and, and it's true. They have key injuries of some players, multiple players, key positions. I understand that. You want your team to get better. I am not criticizing UNLV for losing on the road to San Jose State and losing at home to Air Force. I am not criticizing them for that. I am criticizing them for being embarrassed, for not competing. They were they were embarrassed for not at home. being within three touchdowns. They with, were with, in both those games. They were embarrassed. That's what you're talking about. Yes. The effort was not there. They weren't ready. That is on the coaching staff. You can't complain talent. I understand they didn't have their starting quarterback, but you had enough on this team to at least compete. I don't think that's asking too much to compete. And they weren't able to do that. That is my criticism, and it goes to the coaching staff, and we'll continue to cover this, but UNLV football is in a very different place now than they were a couple weeks ago for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, winning college football games at the Division One level, even if it's in the horrendous Mountain West Conference, is not easy. And good coaches find ways to win, even without your starting quarterback. 
Good coaches find ways to compete. And UNLV has been unable to do that the last couple games. Notre Dame, I would not start Doug Brumfeld if he is not close to even 90%. I do not start him against Notre Dame. I start him the following game on the road against San Diego State because you need him there. I do not start him on the road against Notre Dame. They're not going to beat Notre Dame. I watch Notre Dame play in person, and while this team is not as good as in years past, they still have a pretty— Well, that's not the mindset, though, of Marcus Arroyo, still, the coaching staff, Brian. I, they're not going to—no. He, if he's healthy— He's going to be out there yeah, for, for UNLV. It's not because a matter. They're coming, Brian. Brian, no, no, you're just wrong because they're gonna they're going to you're gonna play the game to win. They, I mean, look, they, they you you and I understand. Look, every anybody that has any sense whatsoever understands that they probably aren't going to win. Mm-hmm. They're not taking that mindset though that you just pointed okay. out that you're just going to sit Doug okay. Rumfeld because uh, because he's. 85%. You need him. You need him to be healthy, and you're risking him maybe getting re-injured again. And you certainly don't want that to happen. And you want to talk about one of the toughest environments in college football when somebody hasn't played the last couple weeks, coming off of an injury. I think it's a very difficult position to put Brumfeld in. But anyway, we'll we'll. That's my thinking on that. But anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, we got to take a quick break, and when we come back, Chris, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Carrie Lake. She is the election denying buffoon out there in Arizona. Believe it or not, over the weekend. She agreed to do an interview with CNN. Now, of course, nut jobs on the right are going to say she did a great job, but it didn't go very well for her. Uh, we have the audio to prove that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And, of course, uh, we have coming up in our number two, Megan Barth. By the way, on Twitter, she is known as uh, Reagan Babe, at Reagan Babe. I do like I that, that name. Yes. I do like that name, by the way. She's the editor of the Nevada Globe. She'll be joining us at the top of the hour. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. He's Chris Wynn. I'm Brian Shapiro. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? And you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702 848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. This announcement is brought to you by the Armed Forces Chamber, Nevada's largest and oldest chamber of commerce formed to serve Armed Forces members. Your opinion matters. Your vote counts. You can make history. Vote Patsy Brown as the first female to be public administrator. Patsy Brown is a contract lawyer. Patsy Brown is a federal contractor with 15 years of experience. Patsy Brown is a business owner with 25 years of experience. Patsy Brown is a philanthropist. Patsy Brown is a Rotorian. Patsy Brown is endorsed by attorneys, 
business owners, community leaders, legislators, pastors, seniors, and veterans. Vote Patsy Brown from October 22nd through November 4th and November 8th. Learn more at VotePatsyBrown.com. Again, that's VotePatsyBrown.com. Paid for by friends who vote Patsy Brown. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Monday. My favorite gaming bar in town. Let me tell you a little bit about Jackson's Bar and Grill. I had the prime rib there the other day. It was so good. Oh, it was so delicious. Scrumptious, I say. Love love playing there. And if you play there enough, you do get your prime rib free of charge. Also this month, every Sunday and Tuesday in October from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., if you earn 200 points, you get $50 in free slot play. How cool is that? Some restrictions do apply. Please check them out. Jackson's Bar and Grill, I'm endorsing them as my favorite gaming bar in town. That's right. Check them out. Flamingo and Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Wynn joining me in studio. All right, Chris. It's a fair transition, Brian, right? Going from UNLV football to Republican politics. Before I do that now. Before I I do that, though. Really? Yeah. By the way, I have to be careful with some of the music that we play here on this show because YouTube, it has to be like licensed music. Oh, they'll flag you up, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, they'll flag me. Mm-hmm. Uh, cancel culture. Must be, can- must be the Democrats. They're trying must trying to cancel you, Must sir. be Joe Biden. Must be the liberals. That, that, must, be, out. that yeah. must be what it is. Must be the liberals. You can sue Numchuck, by the way, because he has more those, money than me. Those commie lefties. I have more those money commie, than Those yeah. commie lefties coming after you, Brian. That's what it is. Yeah, that's, that's what it what is. It. Anyway, before we get to Kerry Lake, and boy, I'm looking forward to having this conversation <laughs> with you, but I think we'll agree. But before I do... Big controversy in the poker world. In fact, it right. wasn't even the poker world. I mean, there were people that don't even watch poker that were getting involved in this conversation. It became an issue, a social yeah. issue. Long story short, uh, you have this uh, this chick, Robbie Law, who I've never heard of her before. Apparently, she plays poker. And uh, she's an Instagram model, and she married into a lot of wealth as well. That's just a fact. And then you have this guy, Garrett Adelstein. They're both in a hand. It's a TV hand. It's a high cash game. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. Maybe even a million million dollars on the table. Garrett Adelstein is known by many, with a lot of respect, as one of the best, if not the best, cash game poker player in the world. Okay. So these two get involved in, in a hand. And Robbie Law, after the turn, makes a call of, I, I think it was a six-figure call with Jack High. She has no draw. She has no pair. And she calls Adelstein. It just so happened that Adelstein did have a draw. I think he had an open-ended straight flush draw or something along those lines. Anyway, it doesn't matter. She yeah. makes a ridiculous call with Jack High. 
Now, maybe she misread her head, maybe she didn't, but Adelstein immediately accused her of cheating. A lot of people in the poker world have accused her of cheating. I've actually defended her in some way. I don't think she cheated at all. I just think she's a horrible poker player. So anyway, I wanted to get her on the show. I wanted to get her side. Here's the way she responded to me. Heard some of your stuff. There's nothing neutral about you. Also, I'm in L.A. at the moment. If you had a more supportive or neutral approach, I would come. But not seeing that right now. So this is my message to Robbie Law. And I hope this is neutral enough for you. First of all, I don't know you personally. It's not my job to defend you. It's not my job to be supportive of you. By the way, you're worth boatloads of money. I believe you married into a lot of money. And you're the one who decided to give the money back, and you stirred this controversy by giving the money back. It's not my job to be neutral, Robbie, so let me give you my opinions on you personally. I've heard a lot of people in the poker world say some not-so-nice things about you. I don't know you personally, but obviously you know nothing about radio. There's nothing that I do in my job that's supposed to be neutral. Okay, I don't do some stupid poker podcast where they kiss your ass so they can get you on and kiss your feet. That's not who I am. Clearly, this money doesn't mean anything to you. You married into a lot of money. You have a lot of money yourself because of your modeling or whatever it is you do. It's not my job to be supportive of you. I think you're a moron. I think you played the hand like a donkey. You have no idea how to play poker. You have all this money. You don't know what to do with it, so you decide to go on TV and play for a lot of money, and then you call a jack a, a blocker? You don't even know the definition of what a blocker is in poker. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made that ridiculous claim. You have no idea what you're doing. You couldn't win at a 2-4 limit poker table, let alone playing for hundreds of thousands of dollars against some of the best poker players in the world. You played the hand stupid. You probably misread your hand. If you just admitted that from the beginning, then there wouldn't have been any controversy. But first you lied about it, and then you have this guy within the casino that steals $15,000 off of your stack when you're on break or something. You don't press charges on him. You give the money back to Robbie Adelstein. Everything you've done is something that a guilty person would do, even though I'm still defending you, not from, for being a good poker player, I'm still defending you because I don't think you cheated because I don't think you're smart enough to cheat. I don't think you're a very intelligent person, but I hope that's neutral enough for you. I hope I was neutral enough for you, Robbie. I really do. And by the way, if you did cheat, I'll be the first one to go on the air and say, I was wrong, you're a cheater. I don't think you're a cheater, I just think you're a moron. Anyway, we can move on now. Wow! I, I hope that was now, neutral. So now she does actually have reasons not to like Brian, yeah, right? Yeah, well, good. Some chuck, yeah. when it comes, hey, she, she started <laughs> off by saying that she thought you were not neutral. By the way, that makes no sense at all. Who gives a damn right. when, when, I mean, when it comes to, from poke, from a poker aspect, neutrality doesn't even come yeah. into play when it comes to a radio host bringing on an individual. But now she does have reasons why she's probably not going to want to do an interview with you, Brian, because you just laid into her. And, and look, I would concur. And the whole thing about cheating, like, look, am, am I, the, uh, am I uh, just lost here in the situation? What is she exactly accused of as far as cheating, Brian? What exactly... Um, is yeah. it that she is accused of doing yeah. So, So the call was really bizarre and strange. Now, if a professional poker player and somebody with any skill made that call, I would have accused them of cheating because it made absolutely no sense. Right. But she's a horrible player. Just She's, she's terrible. She has no idea what well, she's doing. What do you mean accuse them of cheating, okay. though? Of what? How, because, how exactly cheating? Because, I'll tell you doing what. what. This is what Garrett... A I'm not accusing her of cheating, but a lot of people are. Because Garrett Adelstein goes all in. It's more than $100,000 to call after the turn. She has no draw, no pair, no nothing. And she makes the call. It made absolutely no sense. And she won. So Adelstein immediately accused her of cheating. Here's what makes things, and again, I alluded to this earlier, what makes right. this hand a little bizarre. 
He accused her of cheating. He put pressure on her. She gives the money back, which she should have never done, by the Absolutely way. Absolutely not. It, donate yeah. it to charity or something. Maybe she felt pressure, whatever. It's a stupid move. And then, to make matters even worse, the casino's investigating it. They go through the video, and some employee that was in production who was fired steals $15,000 off of her stack and was caught. They follow each other on social media. So you know how conspiracies and this is strange, maybe he was involved. I don't think that's the case, but she doesn't press charges on him. He stole $15,000 from her stack. She doesn't press charges on him. She gives the money back, so it causes more controversy. Again, I don't think she cheated. Garrett Adelstein was out of line. He doesn't have any evidence to prove that she cheated. If I see the evidence, then I'll admit I'm wrong, and she should go to jail. But I don't see that. But anyway, Robbie... I hope I was supportive of enough of you in this conversation. I hope I was neutral enough for you. You're an embar- yeah. You're an embarrassment to poker. Let me just be clear, uh, Robbie Law. You are an embarrassment to poker, and you are the reason why these poker professionals are making money. By the way, I've talked to dozens of poker players that are actual real professionals that have credibility, and they have not said a lot of very nice things about you. The few people that are saying nice things about you on social media and kissing your ass are the ones that you know you're going on their poker podcast and uh uh-huh yeah uh uh-huh yeah that's how they respond to everything that you say i'm not one of those people so you could take your neutrality and the supportiveness and you could shove it up your ass let's move on now and let's talk a little bit uh about carrie lake somebody else that should shove it by the way so if you don't know who carrie lake is she's running for office in arizona gubernatorial candidate running for governor in the state of arizona correct she is an election denier a a brown-nosed trumper a conspiracy theorist and unfit for office i think most reasonable people would agree she is unfit for office even if you agree with some of her policies and you're not a democrat she is unfit for office so believe it or not chris i was actually pretty surprised to find out that carrie lake did an interview with cnn uh, over the weekend very surprising um this is a, a poignant part of this interview that i'm going to play for you and it's the reason why people like carrie lake are very very dangerous and we should take their election ser- their uh you know, campaign seriously. She's very, very dangerous. There's a moment in this interview where she is asked, if you lose, will you accept the results? Have a listen to this. My question is, will you accept the results of your election in November? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result. If you lose, will you accept that? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result because the people will never, the people of Arizona will never support and vote for a coward like Katie Hobbs who won't show up on a debate stage. Okay, so there's a couple problems there. First of all, she won't answer the question. And there's a reason why she won't answer the question, because she will not accept the results if she loses. She will pull a Donald Trump, and she thinks she speaks for everybody in the state of Arizona. Carrie, uh, I got news for you. You don't. Even if you win, doesn't mean everybody's going to vote for you. This is why we call it free and fair elections. It's why we have a democracy. There's a reason why she won't answer that question. Because she will not accept the results if she loses. That is a threat to our democracy. And quite frankly, anybody that votes for her is an idiot. I don't care whether you're a staunch right-wing Republican. You should care about our democracy. This is Donald Trump 2.0. That's exactly what this is. If I don't win the election, I'm not going to admit it. I'm not going, and I'm going to fight it. And you're just going to assume that there was all this fraud. But if I win... Then I'll accept the results of the election. She is a she is the coward. She is a moron, and she is a danger and a threat to our democracy. Carrie Lake has no business running for office, and it is astounding to me that this is where the Republican Party is. Let's be honest. Carrie Lake is a star within the Republican Party, even though she hasn't won, and she might win. She is a star within the Republican Party because she continues to do what the Adam Laxalts, the Jim Marchants, the Seagal Chattas, the Sam Peters, what they all do. 
is lie, and they're all election deniers, and that's why it's important to point that out and the fraud that she is, because Carrie Lake knows. I'm not going to call her stupid. She knows what she's doing. The red meat from the Republican base. Lie about the election in 2020. Talk about 2,000 mules, which she talks about all the time. Felon, by the way, made that stupid flick with a bunch of lies. And don't admit that you lose at anything, really. I mean, that, that's, that's who Carrie Lake is. She's a mini Donald Trump without the PP. That's pretty much what she is. Well, this is straight out I'm of the— I'm assuming that, by the way. Well, Brian, this is straight out of the MAGA playbook, without question. When it comes to elections, it's interesting. Think about it, people. It's interesting that whenever Republicans win an election, there's nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, uh, no reason, you know, no reason to look into anything nefarious that went down. But if a Democrat wins an election, oh, there's got to be some type of fraud going on. There has to be, there has to be some type of impact from voter fraud that has to be going on. It's the height of hypocrisy that we've been discussing for the past six, seven years regarding Republican politics across the country. And it is absolutely par for the course when it comes to the MAGA movement and those that support the former president of the United States. And Carrie Lake fits right, hits the bill exactly to a T. You brought up a number of other names that do the exact same thing where when it comes to elections, every, and it's just, it's just absolutely hilarious, to be quite honest with you, from the standpoint of these same people, Brian, these same individuals who are talking about how elections are rigged and our system is broken and you need to fix this and you need to fix that when it comes to elections, what are they doing? They're running for office right now. They are a matter of days away from an election and telling their supporters and their constituents, hey, I'm, I, vote for me. I need to be the one that wins this election at the same time saying that our elections are broken and that things need to be fixed and that it's that it's that it's at a lot that a lot of elections in America are just a sham. Yeah. It's beyond the pale. It's just another aspect that we chuckle about those of us that are in the middle and to the middle to the left like yourself and those that are like myself who are on the left and who are democrats, we just sit back and we say, I mean, really, really, really. Yeah. And that's the that's the perspective we take and it's just it's just sad. It really is. Just, so it's another, just sad uh, at this point. another part of the right-wing playbook, many of these people that are running for office are mm-hmm. attempting to remain in office, of course, is attacking uh, undocumented immigrants. This is what... Uh, no I, question about again, it. Again, the red yeah. meat. So um, I want you to listen to this because it's so telling to me when somebody like Carrie Lake, who cannot even spell the word fact, is given facts in the debate about immigrants and crime, undocumented immigrants and crime. Listen to this, how she pl- completely sets aside and tries to come up with her own facts. Listen to this. Operational control of our border. Well, DHS says that less than 1% of migrants encountered at the border have a criminal record. But I want to stick on, on the question of asylum. Those that do meet the criteria, should they be allowed to stay in this country? And do you think that the... Um, what the current governor, Doug Ducey, has done, sending some of the migrants to Washington, D.C., is the right thing to do. Would you continue that practice? Dana, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that figure you just put out. We have a million gotaways. These are people who are intentionally entering this country, mainly through the Tucson sector, and we don't know what their background is. There's a reason they're trying to get in unnoticed. It's because they have a criminal background. 
and they are coming into this country. We know that they have tracked down terrorists. They've tracked down people wanted for murder. You can go to the Customs and Border Patrol site, and you'll see we've got murderers coming in. We have people with raps, with uh, a rape record. You name it. We've got hardened yep. criminals coming. Well, across, let me just, so we can't let me just say. Let this. me just tell you that this stat that I just cited comes from the Department of Homeland Security. Less than one percent of migrants. And I know that you're using uh, language like rapists and, and criminals and so forth. What I was asking about are migrants seeking asylum. Okay, so first of all, she doesn't answer the question. But number two, this is another really important part of this interview because, again, this is a page from the Donald Trump orange turd playbook. Remember when Donald Trump said these Mexicans crossing the border, they're rapists, they're bad people, and, quote, I suppose some of them are good people. We all know that that was a lie unless you're a racist puke who supports Donald Trump. Kerry Lake is doing the exact same thing. According to the DHS, and she's right, by the way, the CNN anchor is 100% correct, less than 1% of these people are actually dangerous criminals or committing dangerous crimes. Now, I wish none of them were, okay? But when you hear Kerry Lake's language, murderers, rapists, and, and, and she says, I have to disagree with you. Well, what is there to disagree about? Is the DHS lying? You are painting the picture, and you. by the way, You'll never hear anybody like Kerry Lake or Donald Trump or Jim Jordan or Matt Gates or any of the far right, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert. You'll never hear any of these people say what I'm about to say. The overwhelming, and by the way, this is fact, not fiction. The overwhelming majority of people that are entering this country illegally or overstaying their visas are good people that are willing to work hard and make a better life for themselves and or their family. Period. Per capita, you have a better chance by being the victim of a heinous crime by a legal citizen than you do somebody who is undocumented. What I just said right there are facts, but you'll never hear a far-right member, whether it be a politician or a member of the media, ever say that. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the Republican base loves it. They love it when they hear their candidates attack brown people. They love it when you attack these people. They love it when somebody like Ron DeSantis will fly migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Boy, own the libs at the expense of, yes, I said it, human beings. Carrie Lake is wrong. She is disgusting. She is a disgrace. Calling these people murderers and rapists. Yeah, millions and millions of people crossing the border. There's going to be a few bad apples. No question. But to paint the picture that, you know, so many of these people are murderers and rapists is a lie. Quite frankly, it's racist. It is a scare tactic. And where were all these people when Donald Trump was president? Did you hear Carrie Lake or any of these people on the far right calling the uh, undocumented immigrants crossing the border? Were they calling them murderers and rapists then? And what a horrible problem we had at the border when Donald Trump never built the wall. Mexico didn't pay for it. No, we didn't hear that at all, because now there's a Democrat as president, so they want to blame him for all the problems that are at the border. Do we have problems at the border? Absolutely. But Carrie Lake is a liar. She is a racist, and she is taking another page from the Donald Trump playbook, painting the picture that all these undocumented workers are criminals, Chris. It's a uh, tactic used to stoke fear in that base and in their constituents, and it's also intended to create some type of separation between Democrats and Republicans, right? When it comes to elections, the idea that Democrats are all... Democrats have no problem whatsoever of just allowing these people to storm over the border and take your jobs and 
in some cases, take your life. You need to fear these people, right? That's the mentality. That's the idea behind it. And as you pointed out, yes, a lot of people, a lot of, especially a lot of the deplorables that Hillary Clinton was talking about back in 2016, it's not half the party, okay, but it is a lot of them who are deplorable. And yes, who have no problem when Republican want to be lawmakers or lawmakers themselves talk negatively about brown people or people of, of color. They have no problem whatsoever with that. Because they're on board with it. They believe it. They think it's true. And it's, yeah, we've talked about, the, you know, aspects of the MAGA playbook that come, in, that, that come into elections and come into their whole mindset. This is just another one of them. That, you know, if you're an immigrant or someone trying to come to this country, you are in some way, you in some way, shape, or form need to be demonized. And that they're completely on board with it. And Carrie Lake is another individual that that subscribes to that. And it's another, it's just one more thing too, Brian. It's one more aspect that strips her of credibility in my opinion. Because you're, you're, you're just trying to put forth a narrative that is flat out not true. And you talked about it. And by the way, you said this, mates, and, and you're, you're 100% right. You are more at risk of an American citizen committing a violent crime against you than an undocumented immigrant mm-hmm. in this country. When, 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 you, when you say facts like this, to individuals, the right wingers, and the people that we talk to every day, even here in here in the great city of Las Vegas, in the, in this great state of Nevada, it's almost like they ignore it. They don't want to talk about it. They ignore. It. It's almost like they didn't hear you when you bring up facts, Brian. Right to to these people, when you bring these things up that are a hundred thousand percent true, what do they do, Brian? They want to ignore it. That's exactly. They just want what they to, or they want to pivot. And talk about how, you know, and, and, and basically say, hey, and, and try to portray it like Democrats support it. Yep. And it's just not it's just not the way it is. Number to call, 221-7283. Again, that number to call if you want to be a part of the conversation, 702-221-7283. Let's go to John. John, what's going on, man? Hey, man. What's up, John? Brian, don't ever, don't ever let anybody accuse you of not being one smooth talk, talker partner. <laughs> I mean, the... The, the 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 song and dance you put on that Robbie Jade Lou I can't, Robbie ooh, Ma, I can't yeah. did she did she text you and say she want to do the show after your uh... <laughs> well I'll send that message to her I hope that was neutral enough for her no way to go man <laughs> yeah but hey you know I mean how often have we had this you know conversation where you just have this idiot this person who's a moron who's a clown who's a buffoon who's clearly uh, it's, it's just stoking fear and hate. That's all Republicans do. Whenever a Republican like that opens their mouth, just look for fear and hate. Where's the fear and hate going to come from? It's never a solution. You know, this uh, this Arizona clown, she doesn't offer, uh, here's, and here's my comprehensive immigration reform plan. That never exists. That never happens. It's just pointing out fear and hate. And, you know, in my opinion, Democrats are just, they're too soft. And it starts at the top. Uh, it's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer must go. There's time. For, we need young, vibrant, tough, combative Democrats at the top. Even Obama. I mean, uh, you know, he was the ultimate politician. And I know that he, you know, he uh, had to deal with race. And, he, you know, he was petrified of being seen as the... Uh, as the angry black dude, but man, that's what I wanted his last time. Hey, I hate I to say it, John. I hate to say it, John. I think Anthony Weiner had that. Unfortunately, he also had the fact that he was chatting with underage girls on uh, on the internet. But 
I think we need, from a standpoint of fighters, more Anthony Weiners out there that are willing to, you know, fight. I agree 100%. I wanted to see Samuel L. Jackson uh, kicking ass in Obama's second term, and it's just, it's just not his nature. Yeah. He's too nice of a guy. But, but we need it. And look, we're not dealing with rocket scientists here. We're dealing with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's an imbecile. We're dealing with Lauren Bobbitt. These are bad people, mm-hmm. uneducated people. They've just memorized. Herschel Walker, he's just memorized like 10 lines. We're going to get to well, that. Well, John, later, here's the yep. thing, right? Over the weekend, Bill Maher had an interesting take on this. And look, I, I, recently I haven't really agreed with a lot of what Bill says. But I do on this. When it comes to the reasons why they run the Lauren Boberts of the world, right? The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Carrie Lakes. The idea is that it's a middle finger to the lefties, that they're trying to own the libs by running these candidates who are preposterous. Herschel Walker in Georgia, right? The idea that Herschel Walker, look, oh. we've been talking about Carrie Lake, right? We haven't even got into yet we'll get into Marjorie Taylor Greene and Herschel Walker and these so other, John, the, and, and John, you brought up Lauren Boebert, obviously. Yeah. Look, they're, the, the a lot of these candidates you would think are preposterous as far yeah. as them being in Washington, D.C. And the idea is that, hey, they're just doing it because they want to own the libs. So, so John, uh, I have a treat for you coming up in hour number two, and I appreciate the phone call, by the way, John. Always good to hear from you. Um, coming up later on the program, we're going to be playing some audio from the Ron Johnson Mandela uh, Mandela Barnes uh, debate. Another idiot. We're also, Another idiot. We're also going to be yeah. playing uh, a little bit from the Marcus Flowers Marjorie Taylor Greene debate. And yes, we have a very there were a lot of interesting moments in the Herschel Walker uh, debate against uh, Warnock. Uh, We're going to play that for you coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour. But coming up next, uh, from the Nevada Globe, the editor-in-chief of the Nevada Globe, Megan Bart. She is Reagan Babe on Twitter. She's going to be joining us next, and uh, we might disagree on some stuff, but hopefully it'll be a good conversation. Uh, He's Chris Wynn. I'm Brian Shapiro. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Megan Barth. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? When you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. 
Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Monday. So glad that you could join us. Coming up a little later on this hour, we're going to be reviewing the uh, Ron Johnson-Barnes debate, Marcus Flowers versus Marjorie Taylor Greene. We'll get into the Herschel Walker stuff, too. That was that was kind of wild. You know, I always love uh, talking with people that maybe might have a different point of view and maybe dissect the Republican Party here in the state of Nevada and all the local races that are going on. And I uh, checked out the uh, NevadaGlobe.com, that publication, and uh, the editor of the Nevada uh, Globe joining us right now on the line. She is uh, Reagan Babe on social media, on Twitter, and her name is Megan Barth, and uh, she's nice enough uh, to be joining us today. Megan, I do appreciate you coming on. How are you? Absolutely. Well, happy Monday. I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Doing okay. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I want you to give people to start a little bit of background on the Nevada Globe, right? It is a independent publication, right? Is that is that fair to say? Tell me a little bit about when you started this thing. Uh, very much so. Very fair. Uh, we started about a year ago. I think it was around this time in October that the website launched. It's the NevadaGlobe.com. Mm-hmm. And um, I have been the uh, founding editor since its beginning. Uh, and we cover policy and politics throughout the state. That's pretty much my role of covering uh, candidates, uh, obviously, during this heated midterm election cycle, yep. uh, and all the policy coming out of Carson City. So I will be at the legislative, uh, legislative body when they reconvene in February. Gotcha. Okay, so would you consider, just so I have a little background on you, would you consider yourself mm-hmm. a conservative Republican, or what, what, what would you call yourself? Well, I'm pretty independent, um, pretty independently minded. Um, I have been, just since an infant, one that always challenges authority and asks a slew of questions. If you went back to my grade school teachers, I was probably Mm -hmm. known as a student that was constantly asking why and asking a variety of questions. And I think that's really what led me um, to my degree in English, and then that's led me uh, along to become a reporter, a journalist, and I've covered politics for over 10 years now in Orange County, California, and then I fled California about seven years ago, um, found Las Vegas, and have lived in Nevada since. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that background. So I am uh, 
a registered independent. I've only voted for one Democrat in my life. Full disclosure, it was Joe Biden, which I don't regret, because it was more of an anti-Donald Trump vote. Uh, I, I lean to the left certainly on social issues, but I am for capital punishment. I am for border security, and I vote for Republicans. I vote for Democrats. So that's a quick rundown on me and, and, and my feelings. All right, let's start with uh, Nevada. There's a lot of people that are attacking Democrats for using abortion as an issue in this state. Uh, I certainly believe it's an issue, even though there was a referendum in 1990, not in our Constitution, but as you know, referendum 1990 where the voters are the only people that can decide to overturn that. With that being said, can you understand why there are women all over the country, including women here in Nevada, that are scared, they're worried? No, I I, I really don't understand why they are worried. Um, You know, abortion is legal. There is no national ban coming. There might be a few Republicans that have proposed it, like Lindsey Graham, um, I believe, has proposed it. But they certainly don't have the votes in the congressional body to pass that through, even if um, the Republicans gain a majority in the Senate. Um, We have Adam Laxalt on record saying that he would not vote for a national ban. We have April Becker on record if she beats Susie Lee saying she would not vote for a national ban. And then when you look um, into Nevada, I find that the abortion rhetoric is is really not uh, trending well, or at least polling well, with a majority of voters. Um, I think the the Democrat Party would be better off talking about the economy, especially when you look at really every poll. I mean, every poll shows that the top three concerns of voters of all demographics um, and and voting styles uh, are concerned about inflation, they are concerned about the economy, and they are concerned about jobs. When you look at the Latinos, for example, that are polled, Only 8% of Latinos believe that abortion is an urgent issue. And so I I don't understand necessarily. I I understand it from a political standpoint. Uh, The politics of fear plays very well into fundraising. It also tugs at the heartstrings, obviously, of women specifically. But even women that are polled, abortion does not make the top three concerns as women are generally the managers or the financial managers of the household, mm-hmm. um, whether it's their own household or their family's household. And so the economy is, obviously, we're in a recession um, when we look at the numbers, when we look at gas prices, when we look at food prices, for example, that have spiked the highest 13.1% since 1979. You know, these are the issues that are affecting families, women, uh, Hispanics or Latinos. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and across all demographics. Sure. I, I agree with you that the economy is an important issue. Inflation is an important issue. I, I guess where we might disagree is I do believe abortion is a big issue as well. As you know, there are some states, not Nevada, and I know that's what you cover, but there are some states mm-hmm. in this country where if you're a 10 or an 11-year-old girl and you get sadly raped or the victim of incest, you have to go to another state to get an abortion. I find that repugnant and disgusting. I'm glad that won't happen in Nevada, but I do find it an issue when people in other states – Sadly, women that want to get an abortion are going to have to come to the state of Nevada. I think that's an issue. And and while you're right, and we agree that it's not going to be overturned here, I think it's also important to find out the character in people and the positions of people. And, uh, you know, Mark Robertson comes in the studio. He's another one uh, a few weeks ago who, who thinks if he had it his way, abortion would be illegal everywhere. Um, so I do think it's an issue, but I also agree with you that the economy, gas prices, food prices, uh, those are all important issues as well. All right, so let us let me ask you a little bit about some of the people that are running here in Nevada, because this is what you do, this is what you cover. Okay. You mentioned Adam yeah. Laxalt. I'll mention Jim Marchant, Sigal Chatta. 
These are all people that, I mean, I use the term election denier, and I know a lot of Republicans don't like that, but it's true. These are all people that still say that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. If I told you that the earth was flat, you probably wouldn't want to vote for me. To me, it's the same thing. Why is it that they're still saying that Donald Trump won the 2020 election, right? We can talk about how we want elections to be more secure. I think that's, a, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But why are they all lying? Because it's a lie, isn't it? Am I wrong in saying that? Um, I don't know necessarily that you're uh, wrong or right in saying that, but I, w- I would ask you call Stacey Abrams an election denier. Well, that's uh, isn't that, you, but isn't that isn't that what aboutism? And last I checked, Stacey Abrams didn't cause an insurrection. No, not necessarily. I don't think it's a what aboutism. What I think is that Stacey Abrams um, also denied that she lost the election to mm-hmm. to Kent in Georgia. And as a journalist and someone in the press, you know, I look at headlines, yep. I create headlines. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that the headlines of the past never said election de- or of current, uh, never said that Stacey Abrams, the election denier, is running for governor again. And that's what we have yeah. when we mm-hmm. look at the headlines for Jim Marchant or Adam Laxalt. Sure. I think there's a reason uh, for that. L- let- let's dissect that. Listen, if Stacey... I would love to know it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. So Stacey Abrams, if she said that there was fraud and that she won the election and there was no proof to back that up, then that's wrong. But what I would say is that when you have a former president who incited an insurrection, and the reason why I say incite, uh, uh, and I don't know if you agree or not, Megan, but if Donald Trump didn't say for months that the election was stolen and that he won in a landslide, people's lives would have been lost that day. Now, Stacey Abrams, you might be right on that. She, was, she could have been very wrong in, in denying her election. But she didn't cause an insurrection. She didn't cause violence. And I don't hear her talking about today how she lost the election, but she actually won it. To this day, Donald Trump, every single day, still says he won the election in a landslide. That's the difference, I think. I think there's a big distinction. Well, I think that, you know, unfortunately, the election of 2020 was shrouded in in quite a bit of mystery. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, I've been watching elections since, gosh, I can remember um, and I never saw the counting of ballots stop on election night. Um, that was the first time I've ever seen multiple states, specifically in swing states, where they stopped counting ballots. Um, I also, state laws were changed um, throughout the country, specifically in swing states, um, through um, non-elected uh, elected, uh, excuse me, electoral officials. Uh, and those were changed under the pressure applied um, through legal action, specifically by the Democrat Party and under the guise of COVID. Um, and so I think if the Democrats necessarily did not take extraordinary action, specifically during COVID, to change election laws in swing states and stop counting ballots, and then deny the um, observers the opportunity to watch the continued counting of ballots, um, I, I think there would be less questions. Look, I have been um, an election hawk, um, specifically a champion, I would say, and a researcher and an investigator of voter rolls and election integrity. I've been stumping for election integrity for at least 10 years. Um, I've worked with a variety of organizations around the country to ensure that voter rolls are clean, that the election is uh, a transparent process, that elections are free and fair. And I think that a lot of those issues that I just spoke of were not transparent, 
specifically under the guise of COVID. And when our election laws are changed by the legislature to completely upend our whole entire electoral system in Nevada and go to mail-in ballots, et cetera, it causes people concern. And they have the right to question the election. So so here's where we disagree. Uh, I think there's a difference between questioning something and then saying you won in a landslide and the Democrats cheated. To this point, there has been no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Zero. You, You can have an issue with, you know, votes being stopped being counted it was during a global pandemic i think it's okay to ask questions i don't i don't have a problem with that at all but what i have a problem with is donald trump and many republicans out there lying saying that the election was stolen that the democrats cheated that joe biden is not a free and fair elected president do you under, you understand the distinction between asking questions okay kerry lake is not asking questions donald trump won the 2020 election the democrats cheated I, I just think there's a fine line between asking questions and then attacking our democracy. I believe Donald Trump has attacked our democracy, and I believe the Adam Laxalts in the world attack our democracy every day, campaigning on lies. Well, and, and you're, you're obviously, you know, you, you have that opinion, and that's your opinion. And, and the only thing that I would, cha- would challenge that is when you say there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find the... the the injection of widespread to be kind of a new um, new term, right, of widespread. Before it was, and I was told by the, the um, president or the chairman of, of the Democrat uh, Party at one point um, years ago, that there was not a scintilla of evidence of voter fraud. And then all of a sudden it's now, well, there's not widespread voter fraud. Well, well, I, what is it? well I, I think um, what it is the is... Only thing, the only other thing I would, I would add sure. to that is that um, when Adam Laxalt was um, working with, I think it was Richard Grinnell and, and others within the Trump organization to challenge the election results in Nevada, for example, mm-hmm. um, I personally witnessed, I think they had 12 binders of evidence, and not anecdotal evidence, but binders of evidence, which the judge that was presiding over the case or the the, the, the slate of judges that were presiding over the case never looked at. Mm -hmm. And so I I think, you know, when you have 12 binders of evidence, it should take a little bit longer than a week to decide. But I understand that judges necessarily don't want to get involved in overturning elections. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, when you say there's absolutely no evidence, I, I would push back and say, look, there were 12 binders of evidence that were never looked at okay. by the judges. So I have no yeah. idea what was in those 12 binders. I mean, we can put yeah, stuff. No honestly, idea. I, yeah, and I, and I honestly saw the binders and saw the summary of the binders. Okay. And it was very compelling. Um, you know, I was in the room when all of this stuff was going on. So let me ask and, you another question. And by the way, if you're joining us, she is Megan Bart. She is the editor of the Nevada Globe. Do you believe that Joe Biden was a free and fair elected president? Uh, do I believe it? Sure. You know, that that's what we have. Joe Biden is our president. He's been our president for two years. And, um, you know, he said the other day that the economy is doing great. Well, I, I, I would challenge that assertion, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have two more years of Joe Biden. And what's wonderful about our country is that we have elections. And for those that don't like Joe Biden can vote him out. Uh, and for those mm-hmm. that love Donald Trump, if he runs again, can vote him in. Uh, and that's why I think what's interesting, too, is that um, Democrats are so focused on something that happened two years ago uh, when the, in another two years they'll have a chance to either 
reelect Joe Biden or elect somebody else on the Democrat ticket should Joe Biden not run. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened two years ago is certainly not in the polls. I mean, no one's looking back at two years ago and talking about something that happened two years ago. Kerry Lake People is. Want to Adam Laxalt is. Aren't, aren't, aren't a lot of these Republicans that are running for office on campaign rallies always talking about 2020? I mean, I, I would have to disagree with you on that. Carrie Lake talks about it every, every day. She talks about election fraud. And Donald Trump is the face of the Republican Party. He talks about it every day. Sam Peters is another one. Sigal Chad is another one. I mean, I'm just going by the quotes and the things they say on the campaign trail. They're the ones who bring up uh, fraud, aren't they? Well, I've been covering all of those candidates with the exception of Carrie Lake and Donald Trump because I cover Nevada politics. Uh, But I watched the debate between Sam Peters and um, Stephen Horsford, Mm -hmm. uh, and Sam Peters said that Joe Biden was elected. Although when asked about what Democrats are going to do to bring down inflation, um, Stephen Horsford really did not have an answer for that outside of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and then he pivoted to January 6th. So we can talk about that. We can. I'm happy so, to talk so with you about the that. The uh, deflection yeah. was very interesting to hear and to witness because right now the voters' concerns are about inflation, gas prices, food sure. prices, the economy, and how Nevada is going to yep. come out of a near two-year shutdown. Um, you yep. know, I often, and I have a lot of friends, quite frankly, that are in the hospitality industry. Yep. Um, they are bartenders, most of them. Some of them are dealers. Uh, and they are struggling. They are hurting because the convention business in Vegas has not come back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what voters' concerns are right now as we look towards November 8th and beyond is, you know, what are the Democrats? We're in a democratically controlled state here in the Silver State. What are they going to do to get our economy back on track? And so people can afford, I mean, I moved here seven years ago because Vegas and Nevada at large was a very affordable place to live. Uh, Now we are really mimicking some of the same policies coming out of the Carson City Legislature that California has done. And 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 when I speak to Nevadans, most Nevadans don't want to be California. We want nothing to do with California. The only thing that we have in common with California is a border. So let me ask you. Uh, and, let, let me ask you about that because you you mentioned a lot of things there. Let's let's try to go through them one by one. Um, let's start with gas prices. Sure. So as you know, gas prices are up almost all over the world. So why is that Joe Biden's problem? Why 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 are Democrats at fault when there are countries run by Republicans, quite frankly, where gas prices are higher than they are in this country? Why do, why do I always hear from the right? It's Joe Biden's fault. It's his problem when it comes to gas prices. Yet when gas prices were so high under the George W. Bush administration, I didn't hear these Republicans saying that it was George W. Bush's fault. I I guess that's my question. Why is it all Joe Biden's fault when we know that inflation and gas prices, for the most part, are up throughout the world? Well, I think when you look at Joe Biden's energy policies, for example, he has basically eliminated new leasing on on oil um, production uh, and exploration. Um, he eliminated the uh, pipeline uh, that was running from Canada through North Dakota uh, to, the, to the south into the United States. Um, you know, they are very anti-fossil fuel, and, and America is abundant in fossil fuels. Uh, we have, we, we rival uh, the Saudi kingdom as far as what we could produce in oil. Now, what I often hear is that fossil fuels are dirty, they're, you know, they're a... Um, a detriment to the environment, et cetera. Well, 
when you look at solar panels, I mean, where, or solar vehicles, electric vehicles, for example, where do you think that electricity comes from? Well, it comes from coal. Uh, and so, you know, everyone might think they're doing their part by plugging in an electric vehicle. Um, but where is that electricity coming from? Um, then we look at solar panels. And I wrote about solar panels, for mm-hmm. example. We, we, we are, uh, Steve Sislak often touts that, you know, we are leading in the solar revolution, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, solar panels require, and solar farms in particular, like the one in Boulder City, require enormous, enormous amount of water. And mm-hmm. let me put that in perspective for you. Um, the solar farm that was being built in Boulder City used 20 million gallons of water in two months in its construction. 20 million gallons in just two months. So if we want to talk about water issues in Nevada, we also have to look and, and look over to solar and say, well, how is solar using water and how much water and where is this water coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's always a trade-off. Um, when it comes to clean, quote-unquote, clean energy. Then when you look at EVs and we go back to electric vehicles, well, that requires lithium batteries. Um, Lithium batteries require oil. Lithium batteries require mining. We now have a huge fight up in northern Nevada over a lithium mine. We have conservationists and environmentalists and tribal communities that are against opening up and excavating I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of electric cars either. Uh, my only point is I don't think Joe Biden and the Democrats are the only reason why gas prices are high throughout the world. Uh, I think Republicans and Democrats need to work together to come up with solutions uh, instead of bickering and saying, you know, well, Joe Biden's responsible for the gas prices and it's the Democrats' fault. That, that's my only point on that. But I want to move on to defund the police. Um, I've heard you make statements before where you say Democrats want to defund the police. Uh, I don't want to misquote you, but I think I heard you on another show last week say that. Can you name me one prominent Democrat in the state of Nevada that wants to defund fund the police? Well, I think what we've seen from Democrats like Catherine Cortez Masto, Tick Siegerbloom, and others, Stephen Horsford, Dina Titus, is that they fully accept the endorsement of NARAL. Now, NARAL is known more for reproductive rights when it comes to women, or perhaps, um, I guess, men that identify as women who now I'm told can also have periods and produce babies. But nonetheless, they are endorsed by NARAL. NARAL specifically said in April of, of 2021 that it was beyond time to defund the police. Okay, but that's but that's uh, not so their but that but, but that's not their opinion. That's the opinion of somebody that endorsed them. For example, Proud Boy members endorsed Donald Trump. Does that mean Donald Trump is a white supremacist? I mean, I'm just asking you a specific question. With all due respect, you said that Democrats want to defund the police, and I'm asking you. The leaders of the Democratic Party in the state of Nevada, can you name me just one that wants to defund the police? Sisolak doesn't want to defund the police. Joe Biden doesn't want to defund the police. I suppose you can find a couple mayors out there that are morons that want to defund the police. All I'm saying is when you make a statement that Democrats, quote, want to defund the police, I, I don't think you're being intellectually honest. That's just my personal opinion, unless you can name me some. Maybe I'm unaware. Can you name me some Democrats that are prominent politicians in Las Vegas or in the entire state of Nevada or even the country that have voted to defund the police? Well, and I'm, I'm, I do believe you're misquoting me because I don't think I've ever came out and said that Catherine Cortez Masto or Steve Sislak wants to defund the police. No, you said but Democrats. You said Democrats. Democrats, Democrats. want to defund. Yeah. What, I have, 
Well, what I have outlined specifically in Nevada is their endorsements and money they have received from anti-police defund the police groups. When you look across perhaps the country and Democrats across the country, like Cori Bush, I believe her name is, out of Missouri, she Mm -hmm. has called for defunding the police. So has Elon Omar. Um, I believe that um, Ocasio-Cortez also has made some statements about defunding the police. And this is specifically in the wake of George Floyd's death. Um, There was a big defund the police movement. By also embracing the Black Lives Matter movement, Um, and their rhetoric, which calls for defunding the police. You know, it's hard to disassociate yourself when you associate yourself with these anti-police defund the police groups and you accept money from these groups. Um, So that was really my whole statement, uh, I believe, that I had made uh, with the receipts to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ocasio-Cortez is not for defunding the police. She was for allo- reallocating funds from one uh, precinct to another. Uh, but let's let, – well, you disagree with that? Is that, is that wrong? Well, well, reallocation, reimagining, defunding, I so mean, you they think, all kind of have the so same you, connotation. So, okay, let me – let's just let's, – okay. So you think reallocating funds from one police precinct to another uh, for better training is the same thing as defunding the police? Is that what you're saying? Reallocating funds, to, for example, I remember hearing about social workers, so specifically on domestic issues. They mm-hmm. wanted to send social workers. Well, mm-hmm. I think it was just a couple days ago that two police showed up at a domestic violence call, and they were both murdered by, by a man with a long gun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think social workers really want to put themselves in the way of a domestic violence situation, because domestic violence situations, according to my friends who are um, LEOs, are sometimes the most volatile and the most dangerous because they don't necessarily know what they're walking into. I agree. Um, I agree with so you. This, I agree with you 150%. This reallocation language or the reimagining language all comes from defunding something and then moving it into somewhere else. And whether that's social work or whether it's, for example, now we have a care group, I think, in Las Vegas that's going around and trying to clean up or assess the violence that's happening around the Strip. Um, mm-hmm. We just had, you know, that mass stabbing um, by an illegal alien from Guatemala that occurred, and he killed two people, injured, I think, eight. And the um, Clark County's response to that was to send out care groups. Now, I don't know if that care group was part of this reimagining the police or the reallocation of funds. I'm certainly just not. I haven't looked into it. Um, But with that type of language um, and the anti-police rhetoric specifically coming out of A lot of these democratically aligned groups or Democrat aligned groups uh, have impacted our police forces across the country and in Nevada. All I can say is I am pro police. I am also pro Black Lives Matter. And while because you had mentioned that while there is a group of there are a group of people that have taken advantage of the Black Lives Matter movement. I think there were I, I would hope you would agree with me on this. Tens of millions of people within the Black Lives Matter movement that just want equality. And I was one of them. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't know. I just hear, I'll give you an example, and you can tell me whether you disagree. I hear a lot from Republicans on January 6th. uh, The overwhelming majority of those people were not criminals. They were good people. Guess what? I might disagree with their politics, but I agree. There were about 700 criminals that day, 100,000 people that just wanted to hear the president speak. I just don't hear the same from Republicans when it comes to Black Lives Matter. There were tens of millions of people that protested peacefully. Were there some bad people out there that attacked police and lit things on fire? Absolutely. And no decent human being would condone 
condone that sort of behavior. Would you agree with me that the overwhelming majority of protesters at Black Lives Matter protests were not criminals? And the, and the majority of people that were there on January 6th just wanted to hear the president speak and they weren't criminals either. Can we agree on that? Um, I think we can agree on that to, 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 to a certain extent. And, and where I would disagree with you is that the founders of Black Lives Matter are on the record in multiple interviews saying that they are trained Marxists. Right, the founders. Um, that, we're talking that, about 10 or 15. Absolutely. We're talking about 10 or 15 people, like I just mentioned. I agree with you. But I'm talking about the tens of millions of people that protested. And, and it's easy to get swept up into a movement like Black Lives Matter. Um, however, the Black Lives Matter protests um, resulted in $3 billion of damage to our economy. Mm-hmm. Um, when watching those quote-unquote protests, which evolved into riots, um, we had multiple people killed, like Officer David Dorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we were told by the mainstream media, and this is my problem with the mainstream media, and this is one of the challenges of being a journalist, um, is that we were told they were mostly peaceful protests. Well, well the- mostly peaceful protests do not evolve into two or three billion dollars of damage. Um, you looked at uh, Minneapolis, I believe it was. It was literally burnt to the ground. And where most of this damage occurred, where 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 black people had their businesses and where they lived their lives, so black people were actually more damaged by the Black Lives Matter riot not protests, riots, mm-hmm. than, say, white suburbia. Would you, would you characterize January 6th as a riot as well? It evolved into a riot, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that there were multiple bad actors within that movement um, that caused the destruction. Now, what I find interesting about January 6th is that Nancy Pelosi um, did not... Uh, have the staff or did not agree to have an increase in Capitol Police presence, yet she found time to have her daughter show up at the Capitol with a film crew. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm I'm just, okay, so I'm trying to understand, uh, because I heard what you said about Black Lives Matter. When I bring up January 6th, the first person you want to hold to account is Nancy Pelosi? Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. So nothing about Donald. Hold on. Let me get this right. The January 6th insurrection, the January 6th Mm -hmm. insurrection that was clearly incited by Donald Trump and many of his supporters. And the first person on your list that you want to hold to account when it comes Mm -hmm. to the insurrection. Again, I'm asking you this question again because I'm mesmerized by your answer. Is Nancy Mm -hmm. Pelosi? You don't want to talk about the white, the the, the white supremacists and the Trump supporters and and all the rhetoric. You talk about rhetoric being put forth by Donald Trump about the election. You want to blame Nancy Pelosi for what took place for January 6th? Am I getting you right? Well, what what I heard from Donald Trump is that he was asking people to march or walk peacefully to the Capitol. Um, he did not say, uh, make sure you break the windows, uh, break through the doors, and uh, partake in violence. But what I do know is that Donald Trump, prior to the January 6th rally, which descended into to violence, um, was he requested additional security? It took him um, six. It, it took him. It, he didn't do anything for five hours. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not done. In, no, yeah, but what prior. you're saying is not true. It took him five it, hours it, to it do is, anything. It absolutely. It, it is absolutely true what I'm telling you. Um, he asked for an increase in Capitol Police presence. He asked the mayor, Mayor Bowser, for the National Guard 
Both Mayor Bowser and Nancy Pelosi, who is in charge of the Capitol Police, denied his request. Let me ask you now, a question I, then. I, after, I, I, after I he, he might have asked for more security before the insurrection, yeah. but when the insurrection actually happened, what did Donald Trump do for the next four and a half hours? I honestly don't know. Okay, I, I think I, I maybe would... you don't know because the answer is nothing. That is proven. For four and a half hours, Donald Trump did absolutely nothing. He sat on his ass watching it on television, and the first person you want to uh, complain about, I'm, I'm sorry, we just well, have what, a disagreement, I, is Nancy Pelosi? I, I, with all due respect, that's ridiculous. Well, when, when he was denied the request to have additional police presence at the Capitol, as well as in the city from the National Guard, I'm not sure what he was supposed to do. Um, however, what I do, what I am concerned about were the videos and multiple of them coming out. And I used to call on the Capitol just to, to, to let you know. Um, I have been in the basement of the Capitol. I have been in, in secret meetings of the Capitol. I called on the Capitol for years. Okay. I could not enter the Capitol without being wanded. Um, I could not en- enter the Capitol without being searched, all of my bags, et cetera. Right. Uh, personally, I witnessed through videos police opening up the gates and opening up the doors to allow people into the Capitol. So there were why? several. Uh, I'll why, tell you. I, I think I can answer the Capitol that. Police open the doors sure. and allow people into the Capitol. I think I can answer that. People can... like with horns on their head and backpacks. And yeah. Masks. Well, and, as I you know, I couldn't walk into the Capitol with a backpack on. Yeah, but you were one person. I think there's a difference between that and a hundred people per one officer. The only other option that they would have had, because they were, as you know, they were breaking down gates and windows and all that stuff would have been to take out a gun and start shooting people and i don't think anybody wanted that to happen but we do know that 140 officers have an increase in police presence if they had increased police presence in and around the capitol as requested by the president of the united states they would not have been overrun by some bad actors so why did they open the gates why did they open the doors there was no reason to open the doors or the gates if they had the manpower at the Capitol, which mm-hmm. was requested by the President of the United States, perhaps January 6th would not have descended into the yep. chaos that it did. That's I think, all I'm saying. Right. And all I'm saying is if Donald Trump didn't spread a lie for months before January 6th and didn't say that he won the election in a landslide, maybe January 6th doesn't happen either. Have you ever asked yourself that question? No, I've never asked myself that question. Why not? Because I... First, personally, a president has the right, and as anyone does, to challenge the results of the election. Challenging an election. Challenging an election. You want to call it a lie, you can call it a lie. Challenging an election and saying that you won. So so when Donald Trump today says he won the... Okay, my head is spinning now. When Donald Trump today... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> says that he won the election in a landslide and the Democrats cheated. To this day, that's you're telling you're telling me you don't think that's a lie. That's what he believes. I didn't ask you if that's what he believes. And by the way, I, uh, we're learning evidence now that Mark Meadows said that that's not what he believes. But that's here or nor there. Just because you believe something doesn't mean you should say it, and doesn't mean it's true. So you believe? Why can't you say that he believes something. Well, so you don't think Donald Trump's a liar, then? You you think he's honest and he's telling the truth? Think, I don't necessarily think he's a liar. I think that's what he believes. I, I find it very interesting that the last five minutes you want to talk about January sixth when we have a, when we have a midterm election twenty three days from now. Yeah, because we and have see, a, this is the problem. Because we this have a problem. I agree. You, are so hung up. you and others are so hung up on what happened two years ago. Yeah, and it doesn't even poll. 
This is not. Who are you polling? What, what do you mean? Issues. What do you mean it doesn't you poll? You look at Rasmussen, you look at Quinnipiac, you look at Emerson. This isn't a, you, you don't think this is serious? School. You don't think this is, we've See, never had an overthrow of our democracy and people screaming out, hang Mike Pence. This is a huge issue. I'm, I'm shocked that you don't think this is an issue that anybody well, should talk about. It's such, it's such a huge issue that, that, the con- that a congressional committee has convened a televised hearing now for the last six weeks. Right, right. So, so they're handling it. Yeah, now, there's, we, there, there is a commission. You propose, yeah. When you, when you, yeah, well, there's a commission. Right. So when you propose that I come on your show, you wanted to talk about the midterm election. All of a sudden, well, this is devolved into talking about January 6th. I, I'm happy to talk about January 6th. I just find it kind of a waste of time when we have a congressional committee. Anyone can watch the televised hearings. Anyone can see what's going on with the congressional committee. But yet polling, which I'm talking about, midterm polling, January 6th does not even, it's not even on the radar. Okay, well, I, I would respectfully disagree with you. I think January 6th is on the radar. Uh, radar. Millions and well, millions of people have watched radar, it. it's on your radar, but it's not on the respondents well, that have been polled. Not on election when we deniers. And, the election. Not when it, not when I, we're talking. We can talk about election deniers. I watched Al Gore deny the election. No, he I didn't. Hold on a second. Election. Are you now conflating? Al Gore, hold on, hold on. You are conflating Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, with all due respect, Hillary Clinton conceded the night of the election. Al Gore conceded. How can you compare the two between Hillary Clinton and Al Gore? They conceded, but for the next four years... Trump hasn't even conceded now. He hasn't conceded now. He refuses to concede. Four years, from 2016 to 2020, we heard that Russians interfered in the election. Which they did. Which we heard about Macedonian bot farmers... There was a... You just a, compared a, Al Gore being an election denier to Donald Trump. How can I take you seriously when you make... I don't know how you can make... I don't know how I can take you seriously when you won't let me finish a point. You filled in what for I'm Wayne saying. Allen Root, right? You you filled in for I Wayne Allen Root. Is that correct? Absolutely. The guy who I said that Muslims... Yeah. Speaking of not taking people seriously, the guy who claimed that Muslims were responsible for October 1, that millions of people have died from taking the vaccines, and that he was solely responsible, mainly, for Donald Trump being reelected. And you want to say you can't take me seriously? This is a guy who compared calling somebody the N-word to calling somebody old. And you're saying, and you filled in for that guy. Do you take, should people take Wayne I Allen Root seriously? Wayne many of times. I filled in for Wayne many of times. Right, right. Point. He also, uh, well, do you take him seriously? Uh, the guy that, by the way, got an, uh, from the sometimes attorney. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes you, know, I don't you take him seriously. Okay. with everybody 100% of the time. Got you. Okay, well, I'm just saying you don't take me seriously. I'm a pretty honest guy. I'm well, sorry. No, I, I, it's hard for me to take you seriously when, it, when you invited me to come on and talk about the midterms, and all of a sudden this has devolved into rehashing the past of January 6th. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm just surprised that we've all of a sudden veered off into a topic that is not even polling, like I'm saying. You're... The midterm elections, when you look at the polls, January 6th okay. does not even come up on the polls. I don't know who you're polling. Uh, polled or Latinos that are polled or whites that are polled or women okay. that are polled. They're not even talking about January 6th. But if you want to talk about January 6th for the next however long, I'm happy to do No, so. no, I, 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 I'm just, I was just, I was just surprised about some of your, your answers and in, in, in putting blame I'm on. I'm surprised uh, by you, but I'm not shouting over you. So Okay, well, I'm, I, you know, the way I, I usually conduct interviews is uh, I absolutely will give somebody the time. I think I've given you enough time to answer questions. Mm-hmm. But when you say something that is just factually inaccurate, that's when I interject. 
Um, well, you know. oh, conceding an election is is a little bit different than denying the election. Well, you said Ocasio-Cortez. So the election deniers, which is what this was about. Hillary Clinton denied the results of the 2016 election, even though she conceded. What happened during the four years between 2016 and 2020 is we heard how the 2016 election was stolen. I mean, you can't deny that. You are that com- was all over the, the headlines in the mainstream media. You are comparing. You are comparing. That I guess that's my my issue. You're comparing Hillary Clinton and election denying to Donald Trump. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Was there? They, did both, Hil- are, they both have denied the election results, even okay. though one right. has not. Well, that's conceded. that's that's not true. Hillary Clinton has said time and time again that she lost the election. She's done a ton of interviews since then, and she has not said she won the 2016 election. I don't she know. Continually questions the results of the 2016 election. We witnessed that for four years. I have she, the headlines to prove it. She continually especially recently, has always admitted that she lost uh, and she did not incite an insurrection. Donald Trump to this day says that Democrats cheated. Hillary didn't say Republicans cheated and she won the election in a landslide. With all due respect, there is no uh, comparison or analogy between election denying uh, Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams, and Donald Trump. There wasn't an insurrection. You don't have candidates, Democrats that ran that said Republicans are stealing elections. And, you know, if I lose, I'm not willing to concede. That's exactly what Republicans are doing right now. But hey, it's, it's a good debate. I appreciate you coming on, Megan. You're welcome back anytime. You're welcome to come in studio anytime. And maybe that would be easier if we did it that way. But I do appreciate your time and NevadaGlobe.com. And I, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Well, when I'm in Vegas, I'd be happy to come in, uh, I, in studio. I, I so appreciate You're welcome, Megan. Thank you very much. All right, that's Megan uh, Barth. Um, <laughs> interesting, to say the least. Uh, okay, so <laughs> ad- having an opportunity to sit there and listen to that interview and the entire tone and everything that went down, Brian, obviously I have all kinds of thoughts on what just transpired. First of all, you started off the interview asking her, and, and, and basically posing the question to her if she was a, somebody that was a conservative, right? That was a question you asked. And I don't believe you got an answer to that question. No, she called herself an independent. She called herself an independent. Any notion that Megan and, and the meme that comes to my thought is bless your heart, that that woman that you just talked to for 30 minutes on the air is an independent is beyond preposterous. Because the entire tone of the interview was her essentially spouting off a lot of the nonsense that we've heard from, from right-wingers across the board on a number of topics. <laughs> and also saying things as if they're factually true when they are, in fact, absolutely not. She compared there Al Gore. There was a lot of some. And, Brian, I got, look, I got I to gotta weigh in. Okay? So much of what she said was right-wing rhetoric, talking points across the board. And, look, she talked about how she has 10 years' experience covering politics Yet, she has little to no social media presence whatsoever. Uh, this is, you know, uh, I think she had something like 100 followers on Twitter. I've obviously, before this interview went down, and before I came on the show, because I come on every Monday, right? I looked up Megan. I looked up the Nevada, uh, the Globe. I looked up what, ex- what it's about. It's only, it's something that apparently she is, she or the entities have just started a year ago. I believe, what, back in 2021 is when this outlet came about. And if you peruse her personal Twitter feed, 
It's basically a bunch of retweets, a lot of quotes, a lot of obscure, kind of funny quotes or whatever, but there's nothing really substantial. There's no, there's no substance whatsoever when it comes to her own personal feed. She's only had like 90 tweets on social media. And I don't know if she's on Truth Social or these other outlets, but I'm just talking about Twitter specifically. And then you go to the Nevada Globe, everything is retweets regarding, and, nine, and I'm, being completely, I'm being completely factually accurate here. If you go on the Nevada Globe on Twitter, 90% of the content, Brian, is anti-Democrats. Is It talks about, you know, Democrats this, Democrat that, or it's promoting Republicans. And it's retweeting people like Jack Posobiec, right, the reporter we had on on the old show that, that works for the far right-wing outlet down there in California that I'm not even going to mention. But the point being is that it's all, it's all what that interview was right there. So the idea that she's some independent is completely ridiculous. Okay, so, let me- so this is the problem we have. We have a problem where people are misrepresenting themselves in a certain way, and then their ideas are completely do not represent what exactly so they, my phone, they believe. So my phone that, is that going, whole interview, that was what was going on. So my phone... The whole, the, the whole interview, Brian, was her essentially defending Republicans and talking about what is wrong with Democrats. That was the entire let interview. Get, let me just... So, again, I sat back. I didn't even want to be a part of the interview because it would be, <laughs> it'd be problematic because you have myself who is, who is who knows who I am. I'm a left-wing Democrat. I'm unapologetic about that. But I also, you know, want people that have credibility. And unfortunately, Megan, she doesn't have credibility whatsoever. After after hearing that interview and let me just, hearing all the nonsense coming out of her mouth. Let me just mouth, say a couple was, things. I just can't. I just can't, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I understand. I, my head, Brian and Nunchuck, my head wanted to explode. Let me, okay? I understand. Yeah. Let, let me just say a couple things quickly, quick, uh, Chris, about this interview because my head is spinning yes. a little bit. Okay, so first of all, she said things that are not true. Yes. Uh, By the way, Ocasio-Cortez is not for defunding the police. That is not true. And then she does guilty by association where she says, well, some Democrats took the endorsement of blah, 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 and they're defunding the police. Okay, well, that doesn't mean the candidates are for defunding the police. She talked about the pipeline. She obviously doesn't understand basic economics, which is the pipeline wasn't even supposed to be put in place. Doesn't affect Not right now. So so that's also ridiculous. Uh, She talked about, and again, this is what really gets me angry with some of these Republicans, and she is a Republican. Uh, She talks about January 6th. She doesn't want to really talk about it, but then she wants to put all the blame on Nancy Pelosi. No blame on Donald Trump. No blame on right-wing rhetoric and lies about election fraud, which she seemed to back, by the way. But yet, she wants to put blame on Nancy Pelosi and a couple of those heroic officers because a few of them might have opened some doors because they were afraid, and it was 100 people to one. What were they supposed to do? 140 officers were injured. People died that day. And she wants to say, well, Nancy Pelosi didn't get enough security. And then when I ask her the very basic question, which is, you want to talk about Donald Trump asking for more security before the January 6th insurrection, what about the four and a half hours that he was sitting in the Oval Office as the insurrection was happening, and, and, and conveniently, she doesn't know what Donald Trump did during that time. You know why? Because he did nothing. That's why. And she defends these election deniers, and then she tries to conflate Hillary Clinton and Al Gore 
as uh, same election deniers as Donald Trump, which is one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. First of all, they both conceded. Second of all, it was within 100 votes in a precinct in Florida, and Al Gore still conceded the election. Hillary Clinton has not gone on record and said she won the election in a landslide, and Donald Trump cheated and the Republicans cheated. By the way, there was Russian interference. She said there wasn't. According to our CIA and FBI, Russia did interfere in our elections, so she's wrong on that as well. And And Hold on, one more thing. I want to say one more thing. I I want to say one more thing. She said that (laughs) I'm not, she can't take me seriously for whatever reason why she said that. This is the same woman who filled in for Wayne Allen Root. And I mentioned all the ridiculous things that Wayne Allen Root has said. I haven't gotten a letter from the Attorney General, cease and assist. Go ahead. I'm just telling you, listening to that whole interview, just my head wanted to explode. (laughs) The amount of misinformation and the the, the amount of uncredible takes that she had regarding this and and then to start off the interview by saying that she's an independent and that the nevada globe is an independent organization this is the problem we have in american in 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 american media and i use the term media very loosely because people she called herself a journalist let me tell you something megan you're not a journalist all right and by the way, neither am I, and neither is Brian, and to. neither is a lot of commentators. I actually used to be one. Yeah, you used to be, <laughs> but the, but Don Lemon used to be too, right? Yeah. Chris Cuomo used to be journalists. Right. We're no, I know I don't call myself a journalist in any way, shape, or form. So for her to use that too and try to you know put that out there like she, like she's some impartial member of the media that is just examining each situation, you know, from a from a from a uh, you know hands off approach. Give me a break, and then you then you go on the whole internet. And the whole interview was her touting right-wing talking points. I thought I was very the respectful. Thing, the whole thing that went down, too, about the election, about, about a Don, that, that whole discussion you had regarding Hillary Clinton, <laughs> Al Gore, and Donald Trump. And she's trying to have a false equivalency between all those. Last time I checked, Al Gore wasn't holding rallies five seconds after he lost the election yeah. and trying to and, and completely... Uh, you know, not conceding the election two years after the fact. Last time I checked, Hillary Clinton wasn't holding rallies after she got beat and trying to, you know, make make America great again rallies and, and, and having her, you know, and supporting her people and, and having this whole idea that she got hosed in that election. Give me a break. The idea that those things are equal are complete is complete nonsense. By the way, when she brings up more reason why I couldn't even listen when she brings up Nevada and she brings up election uh, fraud. By the way, the only people the last couple years who've been arrested for election fraud are not Democrats; they're Republicans. I noticed how she didn't want to bring that up. Also, she says that she saw some. She sounded like Mitt Romney. Remember when Mitt Romney said, "I've got uh, uh, women in binders, binders full of women." She's talking about these this thing with binders in it. She's given us absolutely. No evidence of any widespread voter fraud. And yet she's not willing to admit that Joe Biden is a, quote, free and fair elected president. Um, well, here's the- another thing too quickly, Brian. Uh, okay, so people that are want to be credible journalists and media members, you don't use Reagan baby as your name on Twitter. OK, I understand. Now, look, I'll give her credit because she puts her actual picture up there. Okay, that because because I've gone on rants about how people uh, are essentially they look like bots when they go on social media because they have fake pictures, fake names, and so they don't have to have any accountability. 
because you don't know who it is talking about. But, I mean, look, By a lot way. of her content on Twitter, I mean, she's going on Twitter, look, she's got a lot of cute, she retweets a lot of cute phrases, you know, uh, you know, uh, she does have one personal clover. To me, hurting someone else is more painful than being the one who gets hurt. You know, she had, like, these, these little poignant quotes yeah. that are, yes. But that, that's, that basically is essentially everything that's on her Twitter feed. So, it's, it's really, again, it's really hard, Brian, to take people like this seriously when they don't understand. First of all, they, 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 they're just denying factual evidence. And they are putting forth things that they believe that are factually accurate that are just aren't. And, their view, and they don't have an, they, they're not you brought, the, you brought up the phrase intellectually honest. When it came to Megan in that interview, there was a whole lot of intellectual dishonesty going uh, let, on. Let me be um, so. So let me be very clear. Yeah. There is no equivalency to Stacey Abrams, Al Gore, or Hillary Clinton. If you want to talk about election deniers and Donald Trump, that is a ridiculous false equivalency. She holds no responsibility on Donald Trump. Just because you don't say go into the Capitol and threaten or kill congressmen or congresswomen doesn't mean you're not held responsible. Again, I say it again. If Donald Trump did not say the election was stolen, uh, January 6th doesn't happen. Oh, and by the way, I don't know who she's polling or what she's referring to, but I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people in this country that would not vote for Donald Trump because of what took place on January 6th. And they're not going to vote for Republicans, Brian, because yeah. they are on board with what Donald Trump believes regarding January and, 6th. And when I when well, she talks about what people in Nevada care about, yeah, sure, the economy is very important. Gas prices are important. Inflation is important. I would never say otherwise. But all she seems to do is blame one side of the aisle for all the economic problems facing this country, and it's not true. And she brings up the pipeline, for example, another right-wing talking point that right now has nothing to do with the gas prices in this country. She also conveniently doesn't want to bring up the fact that there are 9,000 sites right now that are, can operate when it comes to oil, but they are not doing so. Joe Biden was a part of that. She doesn't want to put any responsibility on some of these candidates out there that are campaigning on lies. And this is what gets me more angry than anything else, is that why are we talking about two years ago? Why are we talking about election fraud? Well, I'll tell you why. Because basically every single candidate on the far right that's running for office is talking about it. But she doesn't want to talk about it? I mean, it just... Listen... There's a lot in there, yeah, but she, sadly... She absolutely didn't deserve to have the amount of platforms she's had. She's already had you know, an hour on your show, which is probably you know, 57 minutes too, longer than she Sadly, uh, when Sadly, I don't know who she's polling either, and I don't know what poll she's getting her information yeah. from, poll. but I can, tell you, I can tell you something right now. The women that I talk to... Yes, I do talk to women. So, uh, in Nevada... Occasionally. And, and, them, and, yeah. and across the country are concerned about abortion and their right to well, possibly not be able it. to choose. Brian, there's a reason behind it. You know what it is? It's because a 50-year measure that was put in place called Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. That's why it is an issue. That's why people yeah. care about it. It's not just something that was just thrown out there in the wind in the last five seconds yeah. to be injected and by the into way, the political debate. And by the That's way, why. this is a woman... So. Kevin Wall, Alan Stock, 
Wayne Allen Root, any of the conservative hosts here in town, this is a perfect example of when she goes on their shows, she's not challenged on anything. Why? Because they are right-wing echo chambers. That is why. When I have people on my show, I challenge them, whether they're Democrat or Republican. And when they say something that is a blatant lie or something that is not true, I interject because I don't want people lying on this show. A different opinion is fine. But when you blatantly lie and say things that are not true, I will interrupt you. Not an opinion. Fact. I appreciate her taking the time to join us. But It was uh, good radio, though. I will say that. It was that, good radio. They definitely got my, she definitely get, got my head get, spinning. We've got can, people coming on saying ridiculous things. I wonder if uh, it can be entertaining. I wonder if... Uh, uh, boy, having her in studio, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. But uh, anyway... Uh, Hey, hey, we'll see. How, like I said, we'll see how fifty-seven more minutes than we should have gave her as far as exposure, Brian. Well, I will be. Yeah, uh, we didn't get a chance to do it today, but uh, I will be going over some of the debates and the audio tomorrow, and uh, we'll have some fun as always. And some special guests will be lined up for tomorrow, Chris. I, do, I appreciate you being here. That was um, that was hey, a wild hey. one. That yeah. was a wild interview. That was a wild show, wild one. But uh, hey, if you missed any of it, I'll be posting this stuff on YouTube on the PTL Vegas page. I'll also be posting some stuff on my Twitter page, which is Pushing Limits LV, and I will do my best to tag uh, Reagan Babe uh, in the <laughs> in this interviews. All right, we're headed to have some lunch. We're gonna have a good time. Uh, I owe Chris some lunch, don't I? I owe you always, some lunch. Always. Yeah, I owe you some. Uh, Especially bur- having to listen to that nonsense for. <laughs> <laughs> close to an hour. I, I owe you a burger and fries yeah, brutal, at a minimum. My friend. Brutal, I'm but not lie to no you. alcohol. I can't afford that. It's too expensive. Anyway, thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place.